Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Proverbs chapter 5. While you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath your pew. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that as our gift to you, that you might have, have a, a Word of God in your own home. As you're turning there, I'd like to tell you about two other announcements, things that are happening soon. Um, next Sunday is when Sunday school starts back up. Our ch- we've been on a month kind of sabbatical from that, giving our, our teachers a, a rest, a chance to go out. Um, so that starts full force next week. If, if you have a desire to work in children's ministry, uh, in the children's Sunday school class, whether that be a, a large role or a small role, a, a weekly role or bi-weekly role or even monthly role, we have, we have room for everybody, all right? Uh, and after this service, in the back building, there's going to be a luncheon for, uh, for teachers and for people who are interested in, in serving in the children's ministry. Uh, there will be child care available. So it, even if you're curious about the ministry itself, I, I really I implore you to go over there, find out what it's about, find a way uh, that you can get plugged in. Uh, also, next week, we're starting up Youth Sunday School again. Uh, Wednesday nights have been going on continually, but we're starting up Sunday School. And, and we're going to give something a trial run this, this uh, semester. Uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to combine uh, Youth Sunday School uh, with some adults. So we're asking if you're a parent and you want to, to join us uh, during Youth Sunday School. Uh, you, you know, if, if your kid's like, man, I don't want mom and dad there. Uh, you don't have to act like you know each other. Uh, <laughs> y'all can sit on opposite ends of the building. It doesn't matter. But the reason we're doing this is we want to be intentional with, with the spiritual life of our teenagers. And what we believe is that the ministry we have here at Grace Bible Church is to work hand in hand with the ministry you have at your home. And we want to give you just one more tool in, in your tool belt uh, for your ministry. So if you go to Sunday school uh, with your student, one, you get to hear the announcements in case you don't always get the information we talk about. But two, uh, you'll be there during the main session hearing what they hear so that when you're on your way home or sitting around the lunch table or dinner table, you can start up a conversation about what you both learned during that time just to kind of help facilitate some more talk about our faith with your teens. Uh, so there'll be a, a group time where we're all together, and then we'll break up into small groups where parents are over here, high school, junior high, all, all that good stuff. Uh, we are in the book of Proverbs talking about growing up in wisdom. As I was studying for today, um, man, I was reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and I was just felt it, was, it really encapsulated what we're trying to do during this series. So flip one page over or across the page, back one chapter. It's not the one we're talking about today, but it's a good one. And let's read those first nine verses. It says, Hear, O son, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. And do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. 
love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, and I love the simplicity of this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. All right? It's there. It's before you. The Father is speaking the wisdom to you. Take hold of what you're hearing. Take hold of what you're reading and and draw it close to yourself. Internalize it. Believe it. Live it. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Today, we are going to be talking about getting wisdom in the regards to to sexual purity. And I want to kind of tell you this now uh, to kind of give you the forewarning. We're talking about Proverbs chapter 5. And the scenario that we have in Proverbs chapter 5 is a father giving wisdom uh, to his son. His son is either about to get married or is newly married, and he wants his son to to beware of what they describe in this book as as the forbidden woman, the adulteress. For our purposes today, we are going to to, uh, use this forbidden woman to talk about all of sexual immorality. And I know right now Sunday school's not going on, so we have some children in here. And so I want to forewarn you now before I read the passage. If I'm reading the passage, you're like, oh, my kid's too young for this. But you can take this opportunity now to make that decision if you want them in here or not. I'm going to do my best to to make this as PG-13 as I can. Uh, All right? I might do some of these and make references, but but, but I'm going to do my best to, to protect the, the ears and the hearts and minds of your children. But I also say this about that topic. Um, studies and research have shown that by the age of nine years old, uh, that's the average age that children are introduced to some type of pornography. Uh, nine years old, that's the average. That means many children see it long before they're nine. So if in your minds you were saying, you know what, I'm planning on having this talk with my son or daughter when they're 12 or 13, that very well might be too late. By that time, they've already been exposed to sexual immorality. They've already have been confused by it. They're already curious about it. So it's my prayer today that through this talk, if your children remain in here during the service, is that we can use what we talk about today as a platform for you as the parent to answer questions that your child might have, that you can bring truth into their lives before they are exposed to the lies of our culture. So we're going to go ahead and read Proverbs chapter 5. Like I said, I'm going to do my best to protect young hearts and minds. Uh, but if you're like, eh, yeah, I don't want to go there yet, uh, during my reading of this chapter is is your chance, all right? Let's read Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. 
She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go down to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we move into this time where we read your word, where we study your word, where we hear and speak your word, it is my prayer that your spirit will guide us, guide us to truth, to illumination, Lord, that, that we might know you and understand you and understand your path, Lord, for sexual purity. To know what you require of us. To know what we need to flee from. To run from. <clears throat> Father, as the parents in this room, we pray for our children. That in our culture that, that exalts sexual immorality, that you would help us to instruct them in truth the knowledge of your way, and the knowledge of the holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this passage is primarily talking about the forbidden woman. For our purposes today, we are going to expand that. And when we reference the forbidden woman, what we are going to do is we are going to expand the, uh, the forbidden woman to all sorts of type of, of sexual immorality. So that's going to include not only adultery, but also premarital sex, also pornography, also homosexuality, also lust. Anything you can think of where, where God's intention for sexuality has been distorted, that's what we are going to go into when we talk about the forbidden woman. And we want to take time today to divide this chapter up into three sections. We want to discuss three different things. We want to discuss the temptation of the forbidden woman. We want to discuss... The, the results of falling into sin of the forbidden woman. We also want to talk about the wisdom that is offered by the Father. So let's go ahead and begin 
by discussing the, the forbidden woman. What makes her so forbidden? Why is she off bounds for the son who is, who is newly married or about to be married? I think there's two reasons why this woman is forbidden, why sexual immorality is, is forbidden. It's, it's an issue of possession, and it's also an issue of protection. For one, this, this woman does not belong to the son. When God created sexuality, he created it to be beautiful and good within the confines of marriage. The Bible always talks about how, 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 how the consummation of a marriage is, is an act of signing a covenant, is an act of making a binding contract between a man and a woman. So when the marriage happens and that consummation happens and they become one flesh, the wife now belongs to the husband and the husband now belongs to the wife. Their bodies are no longer their own. So the forbidden woman is forbidden because she does not belong to the son. But she's also forbidden out of protection. Oftentimes people look at God and they think that God in the Bibles is all about just ruining their fun. God, he, he's just putting rules out there and he's trying to put me in a box and I'm a circle, man. I want to go, you know, don't confine me, right? And so that's, that's what they think God is about. But the reason that God sets his law before us is not to ruin your joy, but it's for the sake of your joy. God is not trying to ruin and steal your happiness. He's trying to give you happiness. And so he has put boundaries around sex to protect you. In my home, I have, I have uh, a, a number of guns I like to hunt, uh, and I have some for home protection as well. And it's, it's a general rule in my house. My daughter's only three, so I don't know if she gets it yet. But, I, you know, as she gets older, the rule is going to be that my guns are forbidden from her. She's not allowed to play with them. She's not allowed to touch them. They're forbidden. Why are they forbidden? One, for her own protection. I don't want her to lose her life as a result of her playing with those guns. But also, I do it because they're mine. You know, stay away from them. They're not yours. So it's an issue of, of protection, but it's also an issue of, of possession. That's what makes this woman, that's what makes uh, all these issues of sexual immorality forbidden. They're not yours, but it's also it's, it's an issue of possession, all right? But it says here that the woman's lips, in verse 3, are dripping like honey, and they are smooth as oil. What the author is trying to say is that, is that the forbiddenness of sexual immorality puts forth convincing arguments, that it, that it whispers lies into your ears that make it look so inviting. And so what we want to do is we want to take just a little bit of time to discuss uh, three different lies that I think the forbidden woman oftentimes uh, whispers into our ears, what tempts us into sexual immorality. I think the first is the lie that we believe a romantic relationship or we believe that sex will bring us fulfillment, complete satisfaction, love, and acceptance. 
People pursue romance, they pursue relationships because they think it will satisfy them, that they will have love, that they will have acceptance. But the truth of the matter is that that's a lie. And no human relationship can give that to you. I'm reminded of the story in Genesis 29 uh, of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. You might remember that story. Jacob was running from his brother Esau, who was wanting to kill him. He ran to Laban's house. Laban had two daughters. He saw one daughter, Rachel, fell immediately head over heels. Loved her. Wanted to marry her. When Laban said, Jacob, how can I pay you for all the work you've done? He said, you know what? Give me your hand and your daughter's hand in marriage. And so he served Laban for seven more years so that he could earn Rachel's hand in marriage. But Laban was an evil man, if you remember the story. Uh, and, and as the wedding day went on, as the wine was flowing, as the sun was going down, as it was getting darker and darker, at the last moment, Laban did a switch. And he removed his daughter Rachel from the presence of Jacob, and he moved Leah in. And that night, as that marriage was being consummated, uh, he consummated the marriage with Leah and not Rachel. And when he woke up, he was horribly angry, went to Laban, why did you lie to me? And, and Laban said, don't worry about it, I'll just give you my other daughter as well, so you can marry both of my daughters, and you can serve me for another seven years. And so that's what happened. But goodness, my heart breaks for Leah, because this is what happened. She had always felt that her husband was stolen from her. She always felt like she was playing second fiddle to her younger sister. And this is really seen whenever she gave birth to her sons. Whenever her son Reuben was first born, she said, now God has given me a son, and maybe now my husband will love me. She was looking for that acceptance. She was looking for that love, but not finding it. And she didn't get it. Then she had another son. And she said, maybe now my husband will, will accept me. But she didn't get it. Had another son. Maybe now my husband will honor me. But she never got that love and acceptance she longed for. But even if she had, she would have been sorely disappointed because her sister, Rachel, did have that love and acceptance from their husband. And even she was left completely unsatisfied. A human relationship cannot give you the fulfillment, the love, the acceptance that we so yearn for. The truth is, is that the only thing that can fulfill us is Christ. Following Him, pursuing Him, loving Him, praising Him is the only thing that can fill the void that we yearn for. Everything else is just a sad imitation. I, I would like to take note, and I think it's noteworthy, that, that Leah did have one child, a child by the name of Judah. And when he was born, she did not say, now maybe my husband will love me or accept me or honor me, but she said something different. She said, 
now I will praise the Lord. She said that when Judah was born. I think it's noteworthy because when we follow the genealogy of Christ, we find that he is an ancestor of Christ. That full love, full acceptance, the fulfillment of life begins when we praise God. A second lie that we're oftentimes told by the forbidden is that sex is just an appetite and can be enjoyed outside the context of marriage. And our culture will oftentimes com- uh, compare sex with, 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 a, with a hunger appetite for food or a, a felt need for, for, uh, for sleep. Uh, but what they don't recognize and what they don't say is that even in hunger and even in our need for rest, sin is still present. We still sin when we overeat or when we undereat. We still sin when we neglect rest or when we rest too much. And the same is true with, 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 uh, with, with sexual unions is that, is that it is very easy to sin in that area. The Apostle Paul talks about that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let me read that to you. It's found in verse 12 going through the end of the chapter. This is what the Apostle Paul says. All things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. So there's, there's, there's a difference there between our, our natural urges for food and sleep uh, with the need or, or, or the, the natural urges for, for a sexual union. There's a difference there. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute um, becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexual and moral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Paul is saying a lot there, and I think I'm going to try to summarize it quickly. This is what he's saying. One, your body is eternal. Your body is not going to burn up. It's not just going to be destroyed. You have an eternal body. Two, You are united with Christ. When you repent of your sins, when you believe in Him, then the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you, and you are one in Christ. Three, when two people have sex, the Bible says that two people become one person. It is a covenant. It is a contract that is made. That's four. 
And five is this. When you sin sexually and you have sexual immorality in your body, you are not just sinning against your own body. But you are also sinning against the body of Christ. You are one with him. And if you are one with him and then you move in towards sexual immorality, then you are dragging Christ into that as well. And what Paul is saying is do not do that to the one who paid and bought you. He said, he said there, the last of the chapter, you were bought with a price. So don't drag Christ into that sexually immoral relationship. Sex is beautiful and it's good. But it was made and designed for the context of marriage and marriage between a man and woman alone. Any other use for it is sinning against the body of Christ. The third lie is a lie that says something like this. My sexual sin, my immorality is only hurting myself. It's not hurting anybody else. This lie is oftentimes used with with the issue of pornography because people feel like they are in their own room, on their own computer. No one else is around. Therefore, no one else is hurt but themselves. But this is a lie from the enemy because the truth of the matter is you are hurting other people. Tim Chappies has a great book, a great resource called Sexual Detox. I recommend it. If you're interested, I have a copy up here. You can look at it. Um, But he describes pornography as this. He says, pornography is a mockery of God's intention for sex. He says, it is typically violent and always progressive. And what he means by progressive is this, that, that your sexual immorality might begin with, with one simple image that brings you a, a, a false sense of satisfaction. But it will not be long before that one image no longer satisfies you and you have to go to something more, um, more debase, something more violent in your mind. And the progressive nature of sin and the progressive nature of this sexual immorality is that it continues to grow and grow and grow and you become more and more enslaved to that sin. And you say, well, Stephen, how does this hurt others? And this is how it hurts. For those of you who are single and those of you who are married, this is how it hurts. You've always heard the statement and have heard it said that, that, that life imitates art. And what happens is when you're watching that pornography, you are training your mind and you're training your heart what you think the sexual union should look like. And what happens then is you take those thoughts and you take that training and you bring it into your bedroom. And you make your spouse less than human. They become nothing more than an object to fulfill your lusts and your desires and it's completely against what God has designed sex to be. It is designed 
has that contract where every time a husband and wife comes together, that, that it's like they are renewing their vows, renewing that covenant, renewing that contract. It's not about your, your own personal appetite. It's about loving the other. And by watching and, and divulging yourself in pornography, you are ruining that and making it something much less than what it was designed to be. This forbidden woman lies this way. And it says something interesting in verse 6. It says that this woman does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. What she is doing is she is having a self-imposed ignorance. She is continually putting this idea that relationship and, 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 uh, and, and sex is, is ultimate. When God is saying it's not ultimate. I am ultimate. Make me, make Christ ultimate. And then at that point, the sexual union will be blessed in a marriage. What are the results? We'll do this quickly. The results are both private and public. Verses 3 through 5, she says that it says that the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. What she is doing is what is happening here is, is the scripture is saying that whatever the sexual immoral is, is promising you, the opposite is true. Whereas you are looking for fulfillment and love and acceptance, what you get is an emptiness and you get this lonely feeling. When what you're pursuing and what you're promised is enjoyment, what you end up with is regret. What you say is you're only hurting yourself. What's really happening is you are hurting those who are most dear to you in your life. Her promises are not true, and the results are the exact opposite of what she is putting forward to you. Those are the private results. And the public ones are found in verses 7 through 14. I'm just going to list these off for you for the sake of time. I want to get to the wisdom. Verse 9, he says that you'll give your honors to other. Publicly, when you are found out in your sin, you lose your dignity, you lose your testimony, you lose your trust, you lose respect from those around you. Verses 9 and 10, you give your years to the merciless. It consumes your life. They take your strength, your labors, your life. What happens publicly when your sin is found out is that you become ineffective, that any ministry you might have is now ruined in your sin. Verses 11 through 14, you have regret Verse 14, it ruins community. When it comes to sexual immorality, we have to remember what 1 Corinthians 6 says, that you are not your own, that you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Do not believe the lies. Do not face the results of sexual immorality. Finally, wisdom what does the father tell the son? What does he teach the son that he should do to avoid sexual immorality? 
he says a few things, and this is what we want to do. We want to list four of them. First of all, uh, through inference, he says, ponder your path. Know what truly does give you fulfillment. Know what truly does give you acceptance. Know what truly does give you love. Pursue Christ. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So whenever you make that your path, and Christ is your goal, he is your end state, everything else in your life falls in line with that. And your life is working in harmony towards that goal. So the Father says, get your priorities straight. All right, follow God. Make your life about him. That's the first step, the first thing we have to do. Secondly, the second piece of wisdom that the Father gives to the Son is that we are to speak wisdom. 5.2 says that you may keep uh, discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. It's very similar to chapter 4 whenever he said, get wisdom, speak it, know it. What the author is saying is that we have to preach to ourselves. We have to preach what we know to be true to ourselves. One of my favorite uh, reads right now is Jonathan Edwards' Resolutions. And at the beginning of his resolution, he says, you know, I am making these resolutions that I am going to order my life by to the glory of God. But the second thing he does before he starts listing his his 70-some-odd resolutions is he says, I must remember to read these resolutions weekly. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds, one of the greatest pastors who has ever been on American soil, said that I must continually preach the truth to myself. I have to constantly remind myself of what is right, true, and good. I have to constantly remind myself of what is evil and unholy and impure. And by preaching to myself and speaking that to myself, I am able to line myself up on that right path, on the path of the kingdom of God. That's two. We ponder our path. We speak wisdom. Thirdly, we have to keep away from temptation. Verse eight, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Whatever temptations rise up within you, what wisdom is given to you here is to stay away from the temptation. Reminded of Joseph in the Old Testament, whenever Potiphar's wife came to him and tempted him with adultery, she grabbed a hold of him and said, listen, come with me. Let's do this. And what did he do? He ran so fast and so far away that she actually had to like get out of his cloak to get away from her. But he removed himself personally from that temptation. We need to do the same thing in our lives. It might be, you know, you have to make the great sacrifice of getting rid of your smartphone and going to a simple flip phone, getting rid of that temptation. It might be that if you have an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend that you're staying in contact with, not, not even might be, this is just truth. If you have an old boyfriend or old girlfriend that you're still in contact with, sever those ties. Don't let that be the person you go and confide to when you have marriage troubles. Because what you're doing is you are laying a trap for yourself that is so deep you will not be able to get out of. All right? 
So you have to guard yourself by removing yourself from temptations. And then finally, we have to reserve sex, sensuality, and romance for our marriages. Verse 15 through 20. The father tells the son to always be intoxicated by the love of the wife of his youth. Do you understand the beauty of that? That regardless of how old you get in your marriage, regardless of how many wrinkles you get, that you can be intoxicated by the wife, the husband of your youth. Protect that union that God has so graciously given you. And that means that you need to actively guard your marriage or your future marriage, and you need to actively work towards that intoxication. And one of those ways is, is starting up next week. We have that reunite class coming. It's, it's a marriage class where you can send your kids off to childcare, and you can just spend time with each other talking about your marriage. I'll give you things to talk about throughout the week because it's beneficial. It's, it's working on your relationship with your wife. And for those of you who are not married yet, if you are single at this point, I would, I would implore you to follow the, the wisdom of Solomon who said, do not stir and do not awaken love until it so pleases. If you are not at a point in your life where you are ready to be married now, I think wisdom says that you need to stay away from the things that stirs your heart towards that. That might mean if, if certain types of, of movies stirs your heart to think, oh, this is ultimate, this is so good, and all I need, all I need is a man to make my life complete. <laughs> you know, S- stay away from that. Don't watch Tom Hanks anymore, whatever, <laughs> all right? <laughs> If it's a certain type of music that stirs your heart to where the longing for a romantic relationship is more than your longing for your relationship with Christ, it might be that you need to distance yourself from that. Don't stir up those feelings of romance in your life, you single people, until you are ready to be married. I'd like to end with these words, words from Christ in Matthew chapter 5. I want to end with these words because I know every person in this room has been harmed in some way by sexual immorality. Either we've been sinned against or we've been the one who's been sinning. And I think Christ offers us great hope. Matthew chapter 5 Christ said that the issue of sexual immorality is an issue of the heart. I think Ashley Knoll said it good, where she said, What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. So if you are sinning sexually immoral sins, that is what your heart loves. Christ also said this in Matthew chapter 5. 
He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And many of you are saying, where's the hope in that? If we're all guilty and it takes a pure heart to see God and all of us have these dark, evil hearts, then who can know God? But the blessedness of the gospel is that while we were yet sinners, while our heart was dark with sin, with lust, with acts of sexually immoral acts, while our heart was at that point, Christ died for us. And Scripture tells us that when we repent of our sins, when we turn from them, and we direct our path towards the kingdom of God, when we repent and we believe in the sacrifice of Christ, then what Christ does is He digs into us. He opens us up. He takes that dark, dirty, impure heart, and He takes it out, and He replaces it with a pure heart, with a righteousness that He has earned for us in His life. No matter how deeply you've been sinned against, no matter how entrapped you might feel, you are not too far away from God. He is strong and He is able. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for your strength and your ability to take even the chief of sinners and make us your own. We thank you for your ability to take our evil desires, remove them, and give us new desires and new longings for you and your son. Help us to order our lives according to scripture, according to your kingdom. Help us to find healing and a home with Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.